From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The prevalence of strokes in people under 50 is on the rise, and here to talk with us about this is stroke neurologist Dr. Hesham Massoud from Upstate Medical University. So this sounds alarming, probably because I'm a little over 50. Um, why is Why are strokes on the rise? It's a good question. Um, well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I think... Uh, it's probably a combination of multiple things, as as everything is. Uh, you know, I think it's probably because we're becoming a little bit more sophisticated as a as a in just in terms of public awareness of stroke symptoms, and so more people are probably recognizing the symptoms and and seeking medical care. We know um, from you know looking at uh, uh, you know retrospective data that younger patients seem to be. Uh, more at risk for not seeking medical care, probably related to a perception that, hey, I'm young, you know, what could this be? It's probably nothing. And then waiting uh, a little bit longer than they should, uh, an older patient otherwise would not. Uh, another thing I think probably p- plays a role is the conventional risk factors for stroke uh, also occur in younger populations. So it's probably related to, you know, lifestyle uh, and diet choices that we're making as well. Making bad lifestyle and bad diet choices. Yeah. That not, are... not being of good, healthy weight, not eating yeah. right. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's two ways to look at it. So there's like a genetic predisposition that we each have. And then there are environmental factors that can uh, sort of affect the expression of our genetic predisposition. And so, you know, um, if we are uh, at risk and then we also engage in uh, or lack of exercise and poor diet choices, then we're more likely to develop accelerated uh, uh, disease, a process like uh, high blood pressure, cholesterol, Um, you know. So when you say genetic predisposition, not everyone's going to, you know, get their gene genome sequenced, but... If you have uh, vascular issues or in your family. Yeah, cardiac issues. Cardiac issues. Um, So uh, heart attacks at a young age, strokes at a young age. Um, you know, blood clots in the in the legs, um, multiple miscarriages. These are th- these are signals that there might be something uh, going on with uh, different parts that play roles into the possibility of of uh, forming a clot or having a stroke of that variety. So even so, it's uh, people I think believe that strokes affect older people. How often do you see strokes in someone under fifty? It was like fifteen percent. Okay, so time. it's considerable. Yeah, it's considerable. The The difference uh, with stroke in the young versus uh, older strokes is one, when you're you know studying this, the, people define stroke in the young a little bit differently um, in terms of where they include the, the low end of the number. So a lot of times they'll be including children in these analysis. Um, but, uh, Which that would be extremely rare. Uh, that would be extremely rare. A lot of times that's diagnosed right after birth, and uh, it's related to a series of things. Sometimes it happens inside the uterus, um, um, you know, before birth. So uh, th- the thing I wanted to talk about in terms of uh, adults uh, str- stroke in the young patients is that their ratio of different types. So they're big, they're two different types of stroke. There's the stroke from not getting enough blood supply from a blockage of an artery of varying sizes, tiny or large. Uh, or it can be as a result of bleeding into the brain from a variety of different uh, problems. Um, in typically when we think of our conventional older stroke patient population, the ratio is four to one with it being predominantly, you know, strokes from lack of blood flow 80% of the time, 20% of the time it's a bleed. 
Um, with uh, stroke in the young, you're more likely to see more bleeds. So the ratio is one to one and a half. So, you know, 50 to 60 percent uh, of the cases are uh, bleeds. And that can be things like uh, aneurysms um, and other uh, congenital uh, malformations of the arteries and veins that predispose people to bleeding. Which one is worse, a stroke from a bleed or a stroke from a clot? Typically, I, I think uh, typically a stroke from the bleed because it can evolve and grow and uh, there uh, there's associated mass effect to it because it occupies uh, a space. Uh, in, 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 in the brain. And we know that the skull is enclosed, so there's nowhere for, for uh, things to go except get pushed. And that can have a significant consequence. But, you know, uh, strokes are uh, variable based on where the damage is, you know, I think is a big uh, determinant. Um, the other thing to, to consider with uh, patients who are younger is their prognosis is significantly different than older patients. And I think it's related to uh, usually uh, everything else that's going on with the patient uh, is good. And so they are more likely to not have additional morbidities that would hinder their progress in terms of rehab. Younger patients uh, they have more uh, plastic brains. We call it neuroplasticity, which means that their brain can sort of move around uh, functions away from damaged areas. And you can see pretty good recovery in younger patients. So they're typically healthier. And- typically healthier, more energy um, and their body is a little bit more flexible to accommodate for the change that a stroke uh, causes. Well, we started out talking about how awareness is better for um, stroke, the signs and symptoms. So I f- let's let's talk about what those signs and symptoms are and how they may or may not differ in a young person versus yeah. an old person. Yeah. So the, the, the thing about uh, the symptoms of stroke is that the most common symptoms are most common across the board. Uh, so, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, weakness on one side of the body, face, arm, and leg of varying intensities, uh, you know, problems with speech, be it articulation or the production of language, uh, understanding, comprehension, uh, fluency, um, you know, other things like sensory loss on half of the body. You know, the big key thing I, I, I tell my patients uh, in terms of stroke symptoms when we're counseling them about, hey, if this happens, this is what to look out for, uh, is it will be a subtraction of function. A stroke will take away something from you and it will do it suddenly. And so if suddenly any function that you have goes out, that could be a stroke until proven otherwise. In younger patients, um, there can be uh, more selective deficits, meaning the deficit can be one that encompasses only a small part of the brain or comes with a migraine or comes with a seizure or comes with a fever or something else uh, that makes it a little bit different or a little bit unusual. Um, Sometimes we'll see the stroke uh, in a patient who's had drug uh, use. Uh, so, uh, you know, either a history of a recent drug use um, that can expose them to a variety of different things. So, you know, the most uh, common example is cocaine, which can cause the blood pressure to spike and then a susceptible individual that can cross a threshold to damage. Um, it can also cause the arteries to clamp down or spasm, and that can affect the blood flow delivery to a part of the brain, and that can cause a stroke. 
Um, intravenous drug use can introduce certain types of bacteria into the bloodstream, and those uh, uh, organisms can seed onto structures in our heart, like our valves. And then uh, that infection can break off little pieces, and that can go downstream up to the brain uh, and cause strokes. Um, so you see some of these other um, more unusual uh, stroke symptoms uh and more unusual uh, stroke causes in younger patients. Yet another reason to avoid the drug use, but but one maybe you wouldn't think of. I mean, I wouldn't think of you know stroke being a risk for cocaine use, but that's yeah, yeah. And and then you know I'm, I'm sure there are people, uh, there are examples uh, culturally where people have taken cocaine and they've done okay. But you know, obviously, I think it's just rolling the dice, and uh, that uh, negative potential exists. You know. Uh, anytime you use. So, uh, uh, you know, previous experience is not a predictor of uh, future. So when a young person is in the emergency room um, for a stroke evaluation, what are the sorts of tests and uh, assessments they can expect? So up front, um, you know, we got to establish a therapeutic time window uh, to see if the patient will benefit or is a candidate from uh, for uh, an early therapy. So there are, there's a protocol that we use that includes uh, head imaging and imaging of the uh, vessels of the head and neck to see, you know, what kind of stroke is this? Uh, how much damage has already been done? Is there a target clot that we can retrieve? Can this patient get a clot-busting medication? So that happens for all patients. For younger patients, because we see some of these more uh, unusual causes of stroke, which, you know, a consequence of an infection, a consequence of drug use, a consequence of a structural problem in the heart, a consequence of, uh, you know, the blood being a little thicker, we have additional workup that we do. So more likely, if you're younger, to get those that battery of genetic testing, uh, more likely to get maybe some uh, fluid analysis of your cerebrospinal fluid to see, is your brain having an infection? Is that the reason why? Uh, you know, uh, more likely for us to sort of probe into a drug history uh, and, and kind of consider that as a potential uh, stroke risk. Uh, a lot of it is informed by the pattern of the stroke, which we talked about on our brain scans. Um, but for the most part, if you're a young patient and the conventional causes of stroke are not readily apparent, you'll, you'll get an exhaustive workup that will include looking at the structure of the heart, the rhythm of the heart, your blood, and everything else that we do for regular patients. Now, you mentioned migraine. Um, the, if, you, if you're a person who has migraines, does that increase your risk? Yeah, there's an association between migraine and stroke risk. And, and it's unclear exactly how um, the mechanism is implicated. So I've read things about maybe there are transient changes in the caliber of the blood vessel involved when you're having a migraine. And so that can change uh, blood flow, which can change uh, your threshold for spontaneous clot to form or for the flow to be uh, enough that it's uh, low enough that it causes a, a deficit or a stroke. So um, those are some ideas behind migraines. Um, there, There's another cause of stroke that we see in younger patients that that presents with, uh, you know, recurrent uh, headaches. And sometimes they can be pretty severe, so much so that the, we think of that as, a, as being a potential bleed uh, because of how severe the headache can be. Um, and, and that, you know, can also cause symptoms of stroke. So, um, and that's called, you know, a, a, a syndrome where the arteries constrict and it's typically reversible. Uh, and it can be associated with certain medications that we take, um, 
Um, and so, you know, th- this idea of headache not being something that you see in strokes, you can. You can see headaches, especially in a younger population. It can be part of uh, the, the uh, constellation okay. of symptoms. Um, well, we talked about bleeding versus um, blockages. Is there a difference in the location of the stroke in, a, in young people versus older people? Well, so, you know, if we're going to be talking about, you know, um, the mechanism of stroke that's from a, a blockage, in younger patients, it really depends on, on what's going on. So, you know, if it's something that's coming from the heart, uh, then it will probably scatter its burden of clot uh, across different territories in the brain. And that pattern will tell me something. If it's a problem with a major trunk of a blood vessel and there are tiny little uh, uh, perforators, which are just microscopic branches that come off of the trunk, and I see the strokes predominantly in that area, that points to a certain uh, potential cause of, uh, of stroke. Um, so there are signals in terms of the cause, depending on the pattern of stroke, that can point you uh, in, in different directions. Uh, for for younger patients, um, for bleeds, uh, you know, they can be you know in the lobe of the brain, or they can be in deeper structures, um, and that can also be the case for older patients as well. It really kind of depends on what the mechanism is. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with stroke neurologist, Dr. Hesham Masood, about strokes that are, there's, there's an increase in strokes in people under age 50. So can you talk to me about the difference in how a stroke is treated in someone who comes to the hospital who's 50 versus someone who's 80? So not a big difference in terms of early therapy, thankfully. So there's not a lot of guesswork. Uh, you know, uh, if you're coming in with a stroke of uh, one type, which would benefit from removing a clot or breaking down a clot, then you are a candidate for that regardless of your age. And the things that, uh, that come into play are, you know, things that have to do with your uh, brain scan uh, uh, and and some of the other factors, but not not age. You know, in fact, it used to be the other end of the spectrum where if you were old, it would be like, well, maybe we're not going to give you this treatment because it carries a risk to it. Um, so there's no big difference now between young and old in terms of uh, treatment um, for recurrence of stroke. Depending on the cause, it can be a little different. So uh, you know, and I'm I'm specifically talking about. Um, uh, is something called a PFO, which is a, a defect in between two chambers of the heart, which typically, when it's not present, uh, uh, prevents the blood of the veins from mixing with the blood of the arteries um, without having gone to the lungs first. And if you have this defect, which one in five people have, called a PFO, then that mixing of venous blood before it reaches the lungs can occur uh, with arterial blood that actually goes to the brain. And what that means is that a clot from the leg can find its way to the brain. And in a young patient, it may be worthwhile to close that PFO with a procedure where you you know go through the groin and you close it uh, with a device, where in an older patient, you would not benefit from that. 
So one in five people have this um, PFO heart defect, but they live with it without repercussion. Yeah, it typically doesn't have a a huge consequence uh, to it. Uh, And it's not something that we screen patients for. uh, And it's not something uh, that patients uh, who have it should particularly worry that now they're going to have a problem. It just means that if you're a younger patient and you have that PFO, we'll consider closing it where if you were 50 years older or 30 years older uh, and you had the same scenario and that PFI probably would not close it. So there is a benefit related to the age uh, for recurrence uh, uh, of stroke in terms of reducing events. Is it just assumed that someone who's young, their blood vessels are healthier because they they haven't aged as much as someone who's older? For the most part, yeah, unless they have a genetic predisposition uh, where their arteries are older uh, because of some structural problem or some, uh, you know, uh, genetic uh, predisposition that they have to having uh, defects in their arteries or weaker arteries. You know, one cause of stroke we can see in younger patients is injury to the wall of the artery on the inside. And that can expose the inside of the artery. You know, it has three, there are three walls and the most, the innermost wall, if it peels a little bit, then the undersurface of that is something that's going to clot off. And that clot can be loosely adherent and, and break off and go to the brain, or it can block off that major artery at the, at the point of the tear. And you see that in older, in, sorry, in, uh, in younger patients, and it can be a result of trauma, or it can be um, a genetic predisposition because of a connective tissue disorder or something that's undiagnosed and undifferentiated that, you know, causes their threshold to be a little bit lower. And we can see that sometimes, you know, spontaneous uh, dissections of, of arteries, major arteries going to the brain. Do young people, um, do they necessarily have a, a better chance of recovering from a stroke? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's related to um, some things that are, are, are pretty intuitive. You know, younger patients uh, having more energy, being more engaged, uh, typically uh, having, uh, you know, uh, a brain that is a little bit more plastic. We talked about neuroplasticity uh, and the ability of the brain to sort of uh, rearrange locations of function depending on where the injury is that's more uh there's more ability to do that in a younger patient than in an older patient uh yeah all right let me ask you a little bit more about risk um because it seems i mean people we've talked about genetic predisposition but what about are there social or economic factors that sort of set someone up to be at higher risk one thing uh, off the top of my head is obviously access to, to high-quality primary care uh, so that you can get ahead of your conventional risk factors for strokes, like the big one being high blood pressure, you know, diabetes, cholesterol, uh, getting smoking cessation counseling, you know, lower social economic status, uh, it, it, you know, is associated with uh, tobacco smoking. Uh, and so, uh, you know, those, those are things uh, that, you know, can, can affect your, your risk. Um, and then, uh, you know, certain lifestyle uh, choices, depending on, on the environment, you know, with the exposure to the, some of the, the drugs that we had talked about or infection risk. Do you know anything um, like worldwide? I'm wondering if if I had a stroke in a, in a developed country, another developed country, would I get similar care? Um, are other countries treating stroke and looking at it differently than in America? No, I think uh, I think for the most part, um, you know, uh, the therapies are being administered. Uh, I think that may based on the care model, you know, private versus public or, you know, socialized medicine versus private medicine may have some differences um, 
uh, you know, in off hours or on uh, the weekends when it comes to the uh, delivery of emergency care, uh, I think we can, you know, draw some some uh, parallels to uh, our VA system where, you know, sometimes they'll have to kind of, you know, uh, transfer the patient to a higher level academic center for certain things. Uh, um, so, uh, you know, I think the bigger problem probably exists uh, in in the in the uh, in the second world or third world countries where, uh, we're, you know, we're behind. They're behind on a, a lot of a lot of things, uh, including uh, recognition of symptoms, availability of treatments. Um, in terms, of, I mean, it seems like we have such high tech um, interventions here, and and also medications. Yeah. I just wonder if they're across yeah. the board. Yeah, yeah, and and it does require a lot of investment, especially for um, one of the treatments that we do for strokes includes uh, having to go to an angiography suite. Uh, that's a million dollar room. Uh, the devices we use to retrieve the clot are very, very expensive. Um, the the imaging uh, protocol that we use, so the series of scans that we use to select you for benefit or uh, of of this procedure, just to see if you're a candidate, th- that's expensive software. Um, so yeah, there are lots of resources uh, that are utilized for stroke therapy. The the great news is is that the treatment effect is incredible. I mean, you know, one in two, one in three patients. Uh, that sorry, you know, the, the statistic we use is the number needed to treat, which is how many patients. Uh, do you need to treat uh, for you to see the observed benefit? And uh, and for this kind of therapy, it's you know two to three, which is wow, really incredible. Well, let me ask you: getting back to someone in their fifties who has a stroke, um, and and let's say they have a good recovery, um, what is what is their life like after the stroke and after the immediacy of of that? And then they've gone through rehab, I assume. Yeah, yeah. I think there's um, a significant uh, social and economic cost to having a stroke. Um, uh, you know, obviously, if there's a, a residual disability, that's going to be more notable. Um, I think there's a psychological impact to having a stroke. Uh, a stroke can be a very dehumanizing condition, uh, and I think that that um, can uh, can have reverberations later on. Uh, uh, well beyond their admission and, and completion of their rehab. And I think um, we're starting to spend uh, a little bit more uh, time uh, trying to anticipate patients who are going to have a little bit more of a uh, rougher time psychologically, you know, post-stroke depression being something that uh, we know is uh, under uh, underdiagnosed uh, likely. Uh, and, uh, and we can certainly, uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, have a a multidisciplinary approach to stroke care. Does it set you up for having um, cardiac issues or other uh, diseases because you've survived a stroke? Does it mean? No, I think, you know, typically uh, strokes in the young, you know, unless it's not, you know, if it's a stroke from a genetic predisposition, a metabolic problem, you know, something that accelerates you uh, versus someone else, um, then typically the, that whatever caused the stroke is causing other problems in other organs, you know, so autoimmune, uh, uh, problems, or if you have a blood clotting disorder, then other organs, their blood supply may get clotted off, you know, or you may get clots in the veins or miscarriages or, uh, or whatever it is, uh, depending on your unique, uh, situation. But if it's just a stroke in isolation, uh, and you've excluded all of the other causes of stroke, then the recurrence, uh, risk is pretty low. 
Um, and I, I wouldn't think that it would then expose you to some new uh, or, or, or different kind of pathology. Uh, in general, you know, as a population, if you've had a stroke, you're more likely to have a stroke than if you had never had a stroke. But that's because there are typically reasons as to why you had a stroke. But when we exclude all of those reasons, um, then the recurrence risk of a stroke. And I'm thinking in my mind of the, of the young patient where we've worked up everything, found nothing, uh, and maybe they have a PFO and that's about it. Those patients, their recurrent risk uh, of stroke is very low. Very low. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Now, if you've had a stroke and uh, you've seen a neurologist, are you always going to be seeing that neurologist like every year? Or Yeah. For stroke care, it depends on what's going on. So if the stroke was a culmination of known and diagnosed factors uh, that are typically medical factors like high blood pressure, diabetes, smoking, so on and so forth, you know, blood disorders, um, then you don't need to keep seeing a vascular neurologist. Uh, you may get a longer-term care with a physical medicine and rehab person for, you know, spasticity or, you know, uh, consequences of the stroke for long-term recovery. Um, the You would need to keep seeing a stroke neurologist if you had something like uh, a disease in the artery or an injury in the artery that needs following up on or a genetic predisposition uh, for strokes that's a, sort of a genetic uh, 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 condition that we follow along. Um, and there are a couple uh, that come to mind that we just follow the patients along and see them yearly. Um, but for the most part, if you've had a stroke and it's and the cause of the stroke has been uh, determined, you don't need more than one or two follow-up appointments after the hospitalization. So I've been referring to you as a, a stroke neurologist, but that sort of simplifies it. Can you explain? You've got an extensive educational background. Yeah, so, you know, I, uh, I did a neurology residency, and then uh, for additional training, I did uh, a combined fellowship in vascular neurology and interventional neurology. Uh, so, you know, my focus is really, uh, you know, uh, cerebrovascular disease and interventions uh, that can be done with minimally invasive uh, techniques. So your background is the exact type of physician that a person having a stroke would, would need. Um, let's, again, before we sign off here, go over the signs and symptoms for someone in their 50s that they should not dismiss. You did mention headache, so severe sudden headache would a be... A severe sudden onset headache uh, should obviously be evaluated. Um, for conventional stroke uh, symptoms, it's, you know, um, a sudden uh, subtraction of function. So, you know, suddenly I can't move my hands, suddenly I can't move my arms, suddenly I can't move my legs, suddenly I can't talk, suddenly my smile is asymmetric, suddenly I can't see out of one eye or off of the right or the left of my field of vision, uh, suddenly I can't feel half of my body, suddenly, you know, uh, my balance goes out and I have double vision, suddenly I have double vision, suddenly my, my words are slurring, uh, suddenly I have vertigo. So there are lots of symptoms uh, for stroke. The big thing is that sudden, that word sudden, and subtraction. Uh, the most common symptoms are in that acronym FAST, which is face, arm, speech, and then T is time to call 911. And those are the, the most common symptoms of stroke because most strokes are in the front part of the brain circulation, and that's where those things uh, uh, reside. Uh, the back part of the brain uh, can have strokes, but less uh, uh, common, and those symptoms are like the double vision, uh, 
you know, the, the vertigo symptoms, so on and so forth, the gait imbalance. And those are the ones that I think fast misses out. So that's why I just tell my patients, you know, suddenly you can't do something, 911. No matter your age. No matter your age. Well, this has been very helpful. I appreciate the information. My guest has been Upstate Stroke Neurologist, Dr. Hesham Masood. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.